Luke chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 21. This morning we looked at the um, narrative of the the birth of John the Baptist and then um, Zechariah's outpouring of, of praise to God. And this evening we're looking at the much greater um, account of... Uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his and his birth into this world. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Well, this evening, as we look at this account of the birth of Jesus Christ from Luke chapter 2. There are three truths that I would like us to consider. Three truths that I want us, Mary-like, to ponder and to think about and to dwell upon. And I, I hope that in doing so, we will increasingly treasure and delight in Enjoy and love the Lord Jesus who was born into this world. 
The first uh, truth that I'd like us to look at is this, that, that Jesus' birth happened according to God's decree. It happened according to God's decree. Now, Luke uh, tells us at the start of this chapter that a, a decree was, was issued in those days by Caesar Augustus, who was, of course, the, the great emperor of the, the mighty Roman Empire. He issued a decree for all the world, that is to say, all the world that was under Roman rule to be registered. A census was to be taken throughout the Roman Empire, presumably for taxation purposes. Caesar Augustus wanted more money to be raised to uh, boost the coffers of the Roman state. And I can well imagine that this uh, decree that a a registration of the the whole world is to take place would have led to a, a mass movement of a great number of people as they, they returned home to where they had uh, property. And among uh, such people are Joseph and Mary. And we're told by Luke that Joseph, uh, because he belongs to the house and the lineage of David, great King David, returns to Bethlehem. And it's while they are there in Bethlehem that Mary gives birth to her son, the baby Jesus, and wraps him in swaddling cloths and lays him in a manger. Those are the, those are the details. And you, you read these verses and, and it might seem to you as you read them that, that Luke here is, is really just providing some background information. Some historical filler, as it were, before he gets to the, the main story. But, I think, as I've reflected on this passage this past week, that it would be a mistake to view these opening seven verses in that way. It seems to me that actually here Luke is, is making a, a most profound, though, though very subtle theological point. You see, Luke would have been well aware of that ancient prophecy of the prophet Micah. That, that God's promised Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. I'm sure you know the words well. Micah chapter 5 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Luke would have been well aware of that, that prophecy that from Bethlehem a a ruler would come who would uh, rule over all of God's people. And and Luke would have known that that prophecy had to be fulfilled, that that the Messiah, God's Davidic king, had to be born in Bethlehem. And so when Luke records that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem by the decree of Caesar Augustus, what Luke is expecting the reader to say is this, ah, yes, but but wasn't there a prior and a higher decree than that of Caesar? 
Didn't, didn't Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem? Not, not primarily because of the decree of the Emperor of Rome, but primarily because of the decree of the Emperor of the universe. Wasn't it really, in other words, by God's eternal decree, revealed in Micah's prophecy, and not by the decree of Caesar Augustus that, that Jesus ended up being born in Bethlehem? And, and the answer is yes. Yes, Jesus was born according to God's eternal decree, according to his sovereign plan, according to his unchangeable purpose. And God, because he rules over all things in his perfectly wise and perfectly good providence, ordered the events of high politics at that time in order to ensure that his eternal, unchanging plan came to pass. To put it another way, what we're being told here by Luke is this, that Jesus was born in exactly the right way, at exactly the right time, in exactly the right place, because... He was born exactly how, exactly when, and exactly where God had decreed. And this, this reminds us, doesn't it, of that most basic but glorious truth that it's God who is in control of everything. It's God who's in charge, not Caesar Augustus, mighty though he was, not any earthly king, but God, the king of heaven and of earth. He's the one who's sovereign. And he has decreed, he has determined in advance every single event of history from from those that take place in the courts of Caesar, right down to those that take place in the lives of ordinary men and women like Joseph and Mary. And what's more, and this is important, God has decreed all that takes place for the sake of his son. He's doing all things. He's planned all things for the glory and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And that includes you, And your life, brothers and sisters, God has ordained all of the circumstances, all of the events, all of the the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of your life. He's, He's arranged everything and he's arranged it so that your life will serve not, not the glory of a Roman emperor or, or the glory of any political leader and, and not your own glory either. He's arranged everything in your life. For the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the first truth that I want us to treasure and to reflect upon this evening. That Jesus' birth happened according to God's decree. Then the second thing that I want us to meditate upon this evening, and I'll spend a little bit longer here, is the fact that Jesus' birth is good news. This is really the 
the centerpiece, I suppose, of, of our passage this evening. Jesus' birth is good news. Now, while Mary is, uh, is giving birth to Jesus in, in an inn, uh, or rather not in an inn, some shepherds uh, are, are out in a field, and they are uh, keeping watch over their flock by night. They are, they're just going about their usual work. They're, they're, they're just doing what shepherds do, which is look after sheep. And they're just doing it in, in the sort of typical shepherd-like way. They're just going about their business. Everything's as it usually is, all very ordinary, all very humdrum. And then everything changes for them. Everything changes. All of a sudden, breaking into this ordinary night, shines the light of an angel and the the glory of the Lord shines around them. And they are, when they see this sight, understandably afraid, though they are tough shepherds. Shepherds who have no doubt had to fend off wolves and, and other fierce animals. They are filled with fear, such as the, the dazzling glory that surrounds them. But then this, this angel says to them in verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. Don't be afraid, the angel says to them. It's understandable that you're full of fear because of the glory, the shining glory that has enveloped you. But I, I've come not, not as a messenger of doom and gloom. I've come as the bearer of glad tidings of great joy. And what are these glad tidings? Well, the angel goes on uh, to inform the shepherds that the, the good news of great joy that is for all people is that unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Now highlighted here by the, the angel in his announcement to the shepherds are three names or three titles ascribed to Jesus, the, the son of, of Mary. Saviour, Christ and Lord. Jesus is the Saviour, the one who saves sinners from their sins and who gives them everlasting life. Jesus is the Christ, that long hoped for, promised, spirit-anointed Messiah, who is our great prophet and priest and king. And Jesus is the Lord, the one who who reigns over heaven and earth, who is Lord of all. Here we see the angel giving uh, to the shepherds a, a very succinct explanation of who Jesus is, Saviour, Christ and Lord, and by implication, an explanation of what Jesus came to do. Jesus has come essentially to save and to rule. That's what he's come to do, to save and to rule. But what makes the angel's announcement such good news 
is that he tells the shepherds that Jesus, this baby that's just been born, has come to be and to do these things for them. Did you notice what the angel says to them at the start of verse 11? Unto you, he says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. In other words, shepherds listen up. This baby that's been born, he he's come to save you. He's not just come to save a sort of general mass of people. He's come to save particular people who live in particular locations at particular times in history, including you. He's come to save you. He's come to take away your sins. He's come to rule over you and to rule over you for your good and for your eternal well-being. You see, it is this unto you that the angel speaks that turns the news that Jesus is Saviour, Christ and Lord into such good news. He's come for them. After all, It's one thing, isn't it, to say that Jesus is Saviour, Christ and Lord. Those are those are good things to say, those are true things to say, but it's so much better, isn't it? If you can say Jesus is is my Saviour, Jesus is is my Christ, Jesus is my Lord. And that's what the shepherds could could say that night when the angel appeared to them. And that's what you can say tonight if if you're a Christian here this evening. Amazingly, you can say, unto me, for my sake, was born in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And then the angel goes on to tell the shepherds about a sign that would assure them that that this saviour really was born for them. He says to them in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And you read that and you maybe think, well, how is this a sign? How how would seeing a baby wrapped in, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, how would that be a sign to these shepherds that Jesus had come for them? Apart from the word that the the angel had spoken to them, how would this sign show them that Jesus had really come for them? And I think the answer is this. And there are different opinions in respect of this, but it seems to me that that you need to remember that these shepherds were, I think, probably pretty poor men doing a fairly tough job. And I don't think it's too much of a of a stretch to say that when these shepherds would have had children of their own, none of them would have been able to afford a, a nice room in, in a hotel, in, in an inn. Most of them, if not all of them, when they had their own children, would, I, I assume, have wrapped them in swaddling cloths and, and would have laid them in a wooden manger, in a feeding trough for animals. And so... When the shepherds then went on to see the baby Jesus and, and went on to see him wrapped in, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, they would have been able to say, yes, 
yes, truly, this is a, a saviour for, for me. This is a, a saviour who, who identifies with, with me, even me, who, who's come down to my level. This is a saviour who, yes, is Christ the Lord, who is the, the, the greater son of great King David. But he's also the saviour who has humbled himself who's made himself poor in order to save and to enrich a sinner like me. And Jesus, the Son of God, did humble himself, didn't he? He, he humbled himself from, from the highest heights to the, the deepest depths. He he humbled himself by, by being laid in a wooden manger. But, but didn't he humble himself even more by, by then, at the end of his life, being nailed to, to a wooden cross? And yes, he, he clearly humbled himself by being wrapped in swaddling cloths at his birth, but didn't he humble himself even more by... By then, at the, at the end of his life, when he had died, being wrapped in cloths at his burial. I don't want to allegorize, but, but I, I think that we do have some hints of where Jesus was going here at, at the beginning of his life. And of course, this is the sign brothers and sisters, that, that Jesus has humbled himself for you, that the sign of, of his cross, of his death, and, and then his subsequent resurrection, that the sign that, of course, we read about in the, in the Bible and the sign that we see in the sacraments. It, it's in looking to the Lord Jesus, not so much at his birth, but but at his death, that you see that he is your saviour who came for you. It's in looking to Jesus on the cross that you see by his, his weakness, by his poverty, by his suffering, he has powerfully saved you and made you rich. It's in looking to him crucified now, gloriously risen, that you know Jesus to be your mighty King and Lord. You see, the birth of this baby boy was really such good news because of what he would grow up to, to be and to do, because he would grow up to die and to rise again for sinners like these shepherds and for sinners like you and me. So the birth of, of Jesus is good news. It's very good news. And then that, that leads on to my third and final point this evening, that Jesus' birth is cause for praise. So good is the news that Jesus has been born, that the Son of God has come into the world. So good is that news that, that heaven cannot contain itself. 
after the angel's announcement to the shepherds, we read that a multitude of the heavenly host cry out in an anthem of praise to God. And they, they sing with all their, with all their hearts, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, these, these angels, these glorious, uh, holy beings who, who are constantly surrounding the, the throne of God and, and, and glorying in Him, they, they marvel that, that God Himself, God the Son, has, has actually come down to earth, that He's actually humbled Himself, and that, that the glory of God is, is manifested. In human form, they marvel at that and they rejoice, these angels. They rejoice that through this God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, God and man will come together. They will be reconciled and peace on earth will be given. And they are thrilled, these angels, that all of this is by God's good pleasure. It's by the good will of the Lord to men. Though they are high and holy and mighty and glorious beings, these angels, they just, they just cannot get their heads around the, 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 the sheer breadth and length and height and depth of God's love for sinners. They, they, they cannot begin to comprehend the greatness of Jesus and the greatness of his salvation. They, they long to look into these things, don't they? We're told that in 1 Peter. They long to look into these wondrous, heavenly gospel truths. But as they look into them, they find that they are so mesmerized that all they can do is, is just cry out in adoring wonder. They, they cannot take it in. They cannot comprehend it. All they can do is say glory to God in the highest. Heaven could not contain itself when Jesus came into the world. And heaven still can't contain itself. In fact, I would imagine that now that Jesus has actually returned to heaven, having done all that he was given to do, I would imagine that the praise of the angels is even louder And even greater. They are forever praising God for the amazing grace that he has shown to sinners through Jesus Christ. Are you, are you praising God like the angels? Do you look into these things and say, I I, I don't really comprehend, I can't fully understand them, but I know it's true and it's wonderful. All I can do Say glory to God in the highest. Do you wonder at the amazing grace that God has shown to you? Are, are you, are, are we here on earth joining with the angels in heaven and crying out in praise to God for all that he has done for us in Christ? Well, that evening, the shepherds were After visiting Mary and Joseph and seeing the baby, we're told in verse 20 that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. 
And, and those who heard the shepherd's report concerning the child also, we're told in verse 18, wondered. They wondered with God-adoring wonder. Everyone that evening was full of praise. But there was also another response to the good news of the coming of a saviour into the world. And that was the response of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're told there in verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary was clearly a very uh, contemplative woman. She thought deeply about the truth of God. She, she meditated on, on the wonderful truth of, of who her son was, the, the son that she had given birth to. She, she, she chewed upon, she thought carefully about and considered all that she had heard, and, and she treasured Jesus. She treasured her son, who was also her Lord and her Savior. And, that, and that's, in closing, all, all I really want to encourage you to do over this period, treasure Jesus, treasure him. In the midst of all of the frenetic activity of this time of the year, take time just to ponder Jesus, sit down and think about him, enjoy him, chew upon him, treasure him. Because there's, there's no one more enjoyable. There's no greater activity in so many ways than, than just to think upon Jesus. He is the greatest treasure. No one's richer than him. No one's more beautiful, beautiful than him. No one's more lovely than him. And, and it's your privilege to know him. God's given you that privilege to know Jesus, your Savior, the Savior who was born for you, the Savior who gave himself for you in his life and in his death, the Savior who was raised up for you, and the Savior who will one day come again for you. Amen.